over lust, or I found Help victory over, uh, you know, finances, something. I found just victory in Jesus. And this idea, victory, is all through the scriptures, and it's all through what Jesus wants for our life. When he died on the cross, and when, when he shed his blood for our redemption, is so that we could have victory in life. It's so that we can be free, and so that we can have true freedom. And one of the reasons why we're starting up front with this word today is because we're going to dig into a really difficult parable that Jesus taught. And this parable really kind of shows us what it's like to have victory in a weird type of way. And we're going to dig into that in a minute. So let's flip to Luke chapter 16. And uh, we're going to read a few of these verses, verses 1 through 15. And um, it's a pretty straightforward, it's a pretty simple parable. Uh, Some people think that this parable was something that Jesus may have seen and then repeated and brought out a lesson because it doesn't necessarily fit the, um, the, the Jesus' regular parables. A lot of Jesus' parables were actually old Jewish parables that rabbis taught. And then Jesus took them and, and switched them and, and, and things like that. They weren't exactly original stories, but Jesus put the case for redemption in them. This one in particular was about money and the way that we deal with our finances. So the last few weeks we've talked about, the first week we talked about mammon as being the only other God that Jesus recognizes in the Bible and that it actually wants us to serve it. And that was what we talked about the first week. Last week we talked about worshiping through generosity and through giving, being generous as giving as being a form of worship. And that's what we talked about. And this week we're going to talk about how is it that we even just use our money? How do we portion it up? How do we use it? What did Jesus talk about how we should use our finances. Now, there's a lot more that the Bible says that what I'm going to give you this much of it. And the Bible talks about this much of it. We can't talk about all 2,235 verses on money in the Bible. We can only talk about a couple today. Unless you want me to, in which case the dessert auction might need to happen as I'm preaching the 2,000. Anyways, I'll just do, I'll stick to this verse. Luke 16, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, People will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of the master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Verse 6, 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than in the people of the light. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Sounds selfish, right? And yet Jesus said it, so it must be right. So we're going to dig into that in a second. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. 
So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property on your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard this and were snaring at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So this is a pretty straightforward parable. There's a manager and there's an owner, and the manager uh, finds out he's going to be fired because he had been dealing dishonestly with the owner's wealth. And so he takes people who owe the, man, the owner money, and he cuts their, their pay. By, by, I mean, in, in, in essence, he acts more dishonestly. It seems that way, right? And, and he cuts their, their payment to the owner by anywhere between 50 and, and 20%. So, I mean, he was dishonest. The guy said, hey, you're acting dishonestly. And, uh, and then he goes and acts even more dishonestly. It's kind of strange, right, that Jesus would commend this guy. Well, Jesus actually did not commend the dishonesty. Let's look at what happened here. There's two theories that commentators have on this. Actually, I take that back. There's a billion theories on what commentators say about this because every single commentary that I opened on this had different theories. And so I'm going to give you two of the most um, accepted theories. One, that he was actually cutting his own commission. That he had a, some kind of commission in this deal, and that he cut his own commission to gain favor with the people who owed the master money. So that's a pretty acceptable theory. The other, probably more likely, is that his goal was to make the owner look so pious and so um, generous that had he fired the manager, it would have made him look bad in the community. Does that make sense? That's a pretty underhanded thing to do. It's, it's, like, it's like you know you're going to get fired, and then you talk your boss up in front of a bunch of people, and then he fires you, and then everybody goes, oh, but he was so nice. But we really like that guy. You know? So the theory is that he made it hard for himself to be fired. Now, we look at this and go, what? This is in the Bible? What are you talking about, God? I mean... Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing here? And verse 8 says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. It's important to note that the master did not commend the dishonesty. He commended the shrewd act. And I think the word shrewd gets a bad rap in society. I mean, when we think of the word shrewd, we think of like an old person who poisons kids at Halloween. Um, it's all like, you know, crazy teeth and stuff. That's not the word shrewd means at all. Shrewd is having sharp powers of judgment. Astute. Um, uh, the way you use it in a sentence, and this is straight out of dictionary.com. Uh, see, we used to say in sermons, this is straight out of Webster's, and now we say dictionary.com. This is straight out of Google, culturally relevant. She was shrewd enough to guess the motive behind his gesture. So other words could be astute, keen, smart, sharp-witted, clever, savvy. Being shrewd here is actually a good thing. And so this manager acted shrewdly with this guy's wealth. And so he was being really astute. He was thinking ahead three or four steps. And the master commended him. And then Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth 
to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, that is a confusing verse, I think, for some of us because to me, it sort of seems like um, Jesus is telling us to act like this guy, but that's not exactly what he's telling us. Um, Actually, before we get there, let's look at a few ways that Scripture calls us to be shrewd with our money. Um, And I don't think we have these up on the screen. I'm sorry about that. That's probably my fault there. Um, Proverbs 10, verses 4 through 5. Maybe you just want to make a note, or if you're in the Bible app, it's definitely there. Lazy hands make a poor man, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. So there's a lot of different ways that Scripture talks about to act shrewdly. And one is to do your job, to to not have lazy hands, um, to be diligent. Uh, Proverbs 11, verses 1, 4, 26, 24 through 26 and 28. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. So acting um, uh, honestly in your dealings. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Verse 24, one man gives freely yet even more, um, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes into poverty. Verse 25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. People curse the man who hoards gain, but blessings crown him who are willing to sell. Whoever trusts trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And so what the Bible is telling us to do here is, is in these couple of verses, and there's a couple more, is to gain wealth honestly. And it's okay to gain wealth. Actually, one of the things that John Wesley says, I love this quote, he says, gain all you can, serve all you can, give all you can. He's saying it's okay to gain a little bit of wealth here, as long as you do it in a righteous way. Proverbs 13, dishonest money dwindles away. But he who gathers more money, little by little, makes it grow. Mutual funds, anybody? Right? Misfortune pursues the sinner, but prosperity is the reward of the righteous. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. All over and over, and I can go over more of these, in Proverbs talks to us about wise ways to deal with our money. And, and this is what Jesus is essentially talking about in this parable. Is what's a wise way to use your money? And, and here's what he says. I'm going to use, say this verse again. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends. Again, it seems strange, but let's look at this, this idea. Worldly wealth. Now, what that's translated from is this phrase, unrighteous mammon. So use the stuff that's not righteous. Use the worldly wealth to actually have relationship. And, and like I said, I know that sounds bad, but let's look at how this works in the real world. So, um, like I said, worldly wealth, uh, the unrighteous mammon, the whole deal there. Um, a little bit in seminary, I worked for a human resources firm that specialized in hiring top-rate real estate professionals. We were hiring CEOs. We were hiring um, executive vice presidents. We were hiring people that got paid on what is called a fee split. And so they would sell a $500 million building, and they would get a split of that fee, whether it's half a percent or something like that, or 1%. They would get a percentage of whatever they sold it for. Pretty cool deal when the building's worth $500 million, right? 
Um, so we would hire them based on this principle. And so essentially, the, the chiefs, the, the chairs of the boards, and the, the, the people who are dealing with our organization wanted to get the most productive people so their company can make the most money, right? Let's look at another area of, of life. Um, around the world, textiles, clothing, the clothes are probably you and I are wearing, made in sweatshops. Little kids, uh, you know, even adults, make probably two to $5,000 worth of clothes in a week, retail value. And they probably get paid five to $10 in that same week. A lot of times in our society, we use people to gain wealth. And this is what this parable is going against. I mean, a few years back, I was at the DMV paying something, and um, this, this woman who was working the counter made this little remark. She's taking in money, and she goes, you know, I bring in three times my weekly salary every week, and I've got to take a furlough day this week. It was the first week that furloughs were out. And she, you could sense that she felt used. You could sense that she felt like, like that she, uh, she wasn't worth anything, that they just wanted the money. And the idea that what Jesus says is he flips this worldly idea around to use people to gain money, and he says, no, use your worldly wealth to gain influence and friends. Use that. And I find that absolutely fascinating. Use unrighteous mammon for righteous principles. Now, let me show you how this all works together. And, and you're going to say, Pastor, you have a short sermon. And I actually worked that out today because uh, we have a dessert auction. It's actually very important for our church um, because it, it raises money for our kids to go to camp and things like that. So it's, it's a way of using uh, worldly wealth for righteous principles. And we're going to talk about that in a second. So where is the victory in this? We started by talking about victory. Where is the victory in this? Flip with me, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. We're going to talk about this principle of using worldly wealth for kingdom gain. Now, of course, when this um, dishonest manager would have been fired, had he been fired, the, he would have had a couple of people that probably would have welcomed him into his home because of what he had done for them. Now, here's what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So I think the victory in this is changing our perspective, changing our mind, figuring out, um, I mean, the word repent means to change your mind. And to look at material things and worldly wealth as just that, as worldly wealth and material things, things that we conquer and use for our benefit, for the church's benefit, for family's benefit. We conquer it. It doesn't use us, but we use it. See, when you're controlled by money, you're like this unrighteous manager who, who, who's afraid he's going to lose his job, who's afraid of all this stuff. But when you're not controlled by money, you use it to gain kind of what you want and what you believe God want, is calling you to. So let me, let me play this out a little bit more. Use worldly wealth to gain friends. Again, it, I know the first time I read this parable, I thought, this just doesn't sound like Jesus. It just doesn't sound like Jesus to me. And then I put it together with the whole idea of treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, being material items, money, th 
things like that. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, who is going to be and what is going to be in heaven? People, right? People are going to be in heaven. People are, are, are going to be there. And, and what if you walked into heaven and people tapped on your shoulder and said, you know, you probably didn't expect for me to be here, but because of what you invested in my life, I'm here. Do you think that's storing up treasures in heaven? Absolutely. And do we use our resources to do this? Absolutely. The dessert auction, why is it so important? Because we invest into kids' lives. I was, t- I was telling um, the, the crew back here when we pray before the service, I was telling them about this kid a few years back who actually gave me a death threat. You know, stuff like that. Um, we invest in their lives. And it takes money to do that. It takes money for me to go take kids out to lunch. or well, I used to do that a lot. I used to go take kids out to lunch. Now, now some of us go out to lunch and stuff like that. I still hang out with some of these kids. But it takes money to do that, to invest in their lives. It takes money to take staff out of a church and say, okay, you're going to be the staff and you're going to equip us all year round. It takes money to do that. Because we give in our offerings, it's, we're using unrighteous wealth, basically, unrighteous mammon. For righteous things. That's when you know you've conquered money, when you're doing it for heaven's good, not for our own good. And that's the whole idea of what Jesus is saying about where do we store up our treasures, in heaven or on earth? And so I have this question for you How will you shrewdly act and deal with money? How will you use it to heaven's advantage? I look at you know, we talked a little bit about Gordon today. I look at his funeral service, where there had to have been at least 1,300 people there. And even at the hospital, you couldn't stop people from coming. You couldn't stop them. You tried to because he needed rest, but you couldn't stop people because he had so invested in their lives. He had used money. I can't tell you the amount of burgers that I've eaten. And unfortunately, I've not benefited from that uh, physically. But spiritually, I have. Because he was a guy who invested deeply in lives, who understood that wealth here is just a fleeting thing. But what you really need to store up is these treasures in heaven. So what I think Jesus was doing in this parable, and what a lot of commentators say, is that it was a story of, of how these, the worldly people did it. How the worldly people used their wealth. And he said, see, see even they get it. I mean, if you're a golfer, you spend money on golf lessons, right? And on equipment. If you're, like, I scuba dove for, for a long time, and I'm still certified, but in, in order to go deeper into scuba diving, and literally deeper in the water, you need to take new classes, you need different equipment, you need, to, you need all these different things, and, and, and you invest in that so that you could be a better scuba diver. And honestly, so you don't get yourself hurt. If you want to be a writer, you go to school. If you want to do something, you, you spend money to do that. And, and I just wonder, as Christians, if we want to go deeper with God and be better disciples, because that's really the one thing Jesus calls us to do, is to go build disciples, do we invest in that? Do we invest in our own spiritual futures? Do we put money into saying, okay, I'm going to buy this one-year Bible and put money behind it and read it? Because even the Bible gets what you put money towards, you value. That's where your heart is. There's been a couple of times that we've offered classes here that we could have totally offered for free. 
but we put a, some nominal monetary fee behind it because we understand the biblical principle of where you put your money, that's what you value. And guess what? When people pay for a class, they keep coming. When it's free, they don't show up. We learned that in camp. We'd give camp away for free for some kids that couldn't afford it. They never showed up. The kids that worked for it were always there. So I want to challenge us to look at money radically different today. I want to challenge us to look at it in a completely different way. I mean, we look at it sometimes as going, oh, man, I need to pay the bills. Oh, man, I need to, to do this. Oh, man, I don't have enough money for this or that. I'm not so sure that that's the way God wants us to use money at all. I think that when we do that, we're allowing this worldly wealth to conquer our own minds, our own influence. I think the way, I mean, what if we said, oh, I really want to do this, but, well, what if we prayed about it and said, God, do you want us to do this? Because I think if God really did want us to do whatever that activity was, I don't think he'd let money stop it. So how do we use unrighteous wealth, or worldly wealth, as as the Bible calls it. Jesus calls us to take this worldly wealth and to use it for kingdom good. And it's a simple message today. Do you do that? Do you have people that you so invest in? Are you discipling people saying, as I learn the scriptures and I learn more about Jesus, I want you to learn that as well. Are you investing in people so much so that people might come up to you in heaven and say, You you know, you didn't expect for me to be here. But because you bought me that burger, because you invited me over for dinner, because you shared your life with me, because you invested in me, I'm here. I mean, do we have those people in our lives? I I pray that that we, we go broke doing that, honestly. I mean, the Bible calls us to a wise way of living with our money, but what I'm saying is that we pour all that we can into people. Because that's what really matters. Use worldly wealth to gain kingdom influence, to bring people into the kingdom. Because at the end of the day, look around. These chairs aren't going to heaven. You know, we're, we might spend some money on the sanctuary. To, you know, we upgrade the TVs. They're not going to heaven. Sorry, TVs. It'll be a hard life for you here back on earth. The music stuff we put money into, it's cool stuff, but it's not going to heaven. People are going to heaven. So do you invest in them? So I want to challenge us today, one, to really look at our worldly wealth. Kind of going back to week one of this message, who controls us? Do we have victory over it? Do we take this worldly wealth and do we use it for kingdom influence and therefore we have freedom over it? Or do we allow it to control us and go, oh man, I just don't have the money for this. I don't know. Or do we pray and say, God, give me victory over this. Two, like I said before, what if one day you went to heaven and you got to see all the people whom you invested in? What if you had people tapping on your shoulders saying, hey, long time no see, but I'm here because of you. And you could probably think of the person in your life by name who invested in you that way. I know I can. And I want to challenge you three where our world says we need more people to make more money. I want to challenge you to flip that completely around. I need more money so I can invest in more people. I want to challenge us to just utterly change that way of thinking because I believe Jesus has us change that way of thinking on money. 
I love this quote. And in almost every single commentary, when you read it on this passage, it says, money is a foreign currency to those whose citizenship is in heaven. Let's pray. God, I believe that you want us to radically change our perspective. God, I believe you want us to have victory over money, over the use of it. God, I believe that you want us to use it for your purpose and for your power. So God, I'm just asking you that, I'm asking that you would bless people in our congregation, that you bless me. God, in this, in Luke 16, it says, whoever is trusted with very little will be given much. And God, we've got people who've been trusted with very little. Lord, we just want to give much to the kingdom. We want to invest in people so that there's no question, had they not invested in me, I wouldn't be here today. God, give us that passion. God, change our perspective on the way that we even think about money. And God, help us to be shrewd in a world that's wise and cunning already. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.